So we did uh, prayer time from 6.30 to 7 while we were going through our uh, revival month. What we're doing now is we're, we've now put the prayer time for those that uh, 8.30 to 9, or 8.30 actually to 8.55 in the morning on Sunday before church. We're praying for church, revival, those type of things. So if uh, for those of you that uh, like the prayer time, all the way to the end of the mezzanine, this level, and uh, 8.30 to 8.55 is when we're having prayer time now. So, of course, everyone's invited of all ages to take part in that. So what we're going to do in here is I'm going back to Prophecy Focus Global Update from whenever we get started till 7, then 7 o'clock we'll pop into the book of Acts or close to that. So let's pray and get started. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for uh, the folks that are in Awana and Rooted Teens right now. Pray that you bless those that are teaching and all the workers and the helpers and thank you for them and pray now that you'd use them in a great way as they teach the young folks and encourage them and Lord as always if there's anyone in our facility today that doesn't know Christ might they find him uh, before they leave here and then of course for those that have already trusted and placed their faith in Jesus I pray that you'd uh, encourage them and motivate them and strengthen them Lord so as they go back into the world in a few moments, that they'd uh, just be a little bit better, a little bit stronger, a little bit more prepared. So, Father, we also pray that you bless our time together in, in this particular class uh, as we take a look at some of the things happening around the country and around the world, and then as we get back in and uh, study the book of Acts. So, Father, we pray that you bless our time. Thank you for the folks that are here, and we'll give you the praise for it in Christ's name. Amen. Yes, ma'am. Okay, very, very loud and very quick, please. Okay, what are you going? You're going in for a pacemaker? Alright, Nathaniel, come on up here. I'm going to have Nathaniel pray for you. Off shock, past of it, okay. Let's pray. Father, we come before you tonight, and we thank you for the time we have together to worship you this evening in spirit and in truth. I ask that you um, give a doctor's wisdom for uh, Melody as she goes in. Gail, she goes in for a pacemaker surgery. I ask that there uh, be no complications, that there be a... Um, quick healing and recovery, Lord, that you would um, just use it to be a testimony to the doctors um, around this Easter season to um, draw them um, to yourself for salvation. Um, power past the words that he preaches tonight, Lord. In Christ's name I pray and ask these things. Amen. Thanks, brother. Yeah, Thank you. There you go. You need a handout? Yeah. My buddy. I'm, I didn't have anybody to do ushering in here. Well, yeah, we had a few, but... Uh, what do you say? What do you say? <laughs> nah, I missed him. So good to have you back, brother. You got competition now, Larry. <laughs> uh, okay. 
Well, uh, again, we're going to go into Prophecy Focus Global Update, uh, get through a few things here tonight, and then we'll, uh, those just coming in, we'll get into the book of Acts. Uh, good to see those that are here. Boy, we had a, had a full house Sunday morning. It was a great packed out place, and uh, we, if you saw, we got some chairs set up in the back now. Uh, if uh, I'm thinking during Easter, we might get a little more full, so that's great. But good to have you folks here on a Wednesday evening as uh, we open up uh, our study time. All right, so let's take a look at just a couple of things that are taking place. And uh, everything that we look at here has at least some prophetic nexus to it. So we're going to try and what's taking place in our, and I'm going to be pretty much dealing with domestic issues, not international issues tonight, uh, about some of the things. By the way, and this just came out when we were driving down, Maybe some of you were ahead of the ahead of me on this, but uh, how many of you recall back in 2022? And I don't know the exact date. Uh, Wisconsin Family Council or Wisconsin Family Action was firebombed. How many of you know about that one? All right, pretty much everybody. All right, uh, it was either yesterday or today they they made an arrest uh, in that case. Quite frankly, I was shocked to death that they that uh, they actually pursued it and have a suspect in custody. But I'm thrilled. Um, so, uh, I, I what do you say? It, it's just it's a sign of the times when these type of things happen. I don't know the facts yet. I I literally I, I just got here after I heard that and haven't had time to read the story. But uh, we'll take a look at it. So, I did contact. Uh, uh, Wisconsin Family Action. I talked to one person that I told I wouldn't name at this point, uh, but uh, they're they're just they're doing the right thing. They're keeping quiet right now, which is what they should do because when this goes to court, uh, then that's when it's time to talk. And uh, after somebody is definitely, if you will, arraigned on uh, what took place. So we'll see what happens, but uh, anyway, I was thrilled to death to find out that somebody actually pursued the case and an arrest was actually made. I, I was very pleased about that, so we'll see what happens. All right, so let's get into a couple of things here that are taking place that fit right into the prophetic calendar, if you will. In uh, 2 Timothy 3.1, it talks about in the last days, basically 2 Timothy 3 is not talking about the last days in the tribulation time, but uh, we've talked about this in the past a little bit. 2 Timothy 3, Paul was talking to Timothy about things that would happen during our lifespan, during the church age. He said, in the last days, perilous times will come. Well, here's, uh, I wanted to hit on a story because it's got multiple things that are taking place, and it fits right into where our culture is headed right now. So we've got a Christian school, he's so named a Christian school in Nashville, um, I'm sure most, if not all, have seen this. Uh, a shooting takes place. Six people are dead by a former student. So it's, it's, it depends on what media outlet you're looking at, how much of the facts you get from this. This former student happens to be a transgender student. Mm. So why would a transgender former student go to the Christian school and kill six people. Well, because in a Christian school, are they pro-LGBTQI? Of course not, okay? This person was so offended by not being accepted at that 
uh, by those people that uh, the person went to the school and began to kill other people until that person was killed. So it, uh, some of this did not come out in certain media strains, which of course you'd expect the same, uh, but the more conservative groups immediately, bam, they were on it um, on this issue. So what about the perilous times? And this is a warning to all of us, by the way. Um, maybe you've noticed I get a little vocal about certain things. And uh, does that put a target on your back, potentially? It does. And uh, the reason, uh, uh, you know, I think there's two reasons why over the many years that I've been doing this and being on radio and TV and public, if you will, I always make this statement, and I mean it with all my heart. I do not agree with the LGBTQI plus community. It's scripturally untenable. But there isn't a single person that's gone through either gender transformation or that agrees to do that or that's taken on that lifestyle. And there's not a single one of them that I wouldn't welcome here at Union Grove Baptist Church. There's not a single one that I wouldn't invest everything I could into to share the gospel with them and, and help them in any way I could. I'll never subscribe to their lifestyle. I don't agree with it. It's unbiblical, but I'm still going to love them, and uh, I stand on that, and I'll never change. So uh, it's, it's a horrible thing that's taking place. It's a, a, when, and that's why I think it just behooves us when we look at how do we talk to people and how do we portray ourselves that we always speak the truth and what? I mean, you've heard me say that over and over and over and over again, and that's the way we should do things. Uh, so, uh, again, I don't agree with the lifestyle. It's a horrible thing that uh, uh, it's anti-God, it's anti-Bible. But, let's see, last time I checked, Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners. sinners. And uh, who isn't a sinner? Or who, Yeah. Who, who in the, our, our world is not a sinner, including in our church, including the guys talking right now? We're all sinners saved by grace uh, uh, that have put our faith and trust in Christ. So the bottom line is uh, uh, these things are going to keep going. They're going to keep increasing. The hatred level will keep exponentially getting worse and worse and worse as uh, we wait for Christ to come back and take us home at the rapture. So keep these things in mind, and again, Take a stand. Do not be afraid to take a stand against things that are biblically wrong. But when we talk about things that are biblically wrong, be judicious in how we do it. In other words, don't use expletives, don't use crass statements, don't call them names. That's, that's not going to help anybody. Uh, what will help is, yeah, I don't agree with the lifestyle. It's unbiblical, and you can go to the biblical passage to try and prove your point. Nothing wrong with that, but don't beat them up. Okay, make sense? Okay, very good. I know you're on the same page. All right, let's go to another one. Uh, U.S. regulators, it shouldn't be us, it should be you, capital S. United States regulators face sharp questions from Congress over bank collapses. Now, this is huge, and... Uh, it was interesting, um, and I'm going to forget the, which, it's S, what's the one that got shut down? What is it? SV, Silicon Valley Bank, there we go, SVB. Uh, so my wife gets a check from SVB 
like a couple of days after they shut down. So we're still wondering if it's going to be cashable or not. Uh, so it's interesting. But what, what, what's the point? So when we look at Revelation 13 and we look at the issue of a one world economy. Now, if you watch, and, and I had a couple of folks send me some other stuff this week, uh, specifically about uh, money in Saudi Arabia, a few other things that are in horrible shape right now. Um, and you, you folks, there's so much out there, 90% of it, or I should say 50% is true, 50% is not, because you get both sides on everything. What's true and what isn't? Is the American dollar going to collapse? Is, you know, how big a problem are we facing? And uh, again, everybody and their brothers got an opinion on these things. I've been watching this for, I'll say, well over a decade as to people saying the dollar's going to collapse and it's always holds steady, at least up to this point. Will the American dollar and every other dollar in the world collapse someday? Yeah, it's going to collapse someday because you've got to get to Revelation 13 where there's a one-world economy. In other words, you, everybody here knows the passage. Uh, remember 666, right? Last verse in Revelation 13. You cannot buy or sell unless you have what? The mark of the beast. Now, if you're a Christian, you'll never experience that because you'll be up in the rapture before that takes place. But isn't it amazing? I mean, it's been years, and supposedly the regulations were in place to keep this SVB kind of an issue from taking place. But did it take place? It sure did. Uh, are other banks in horrific shape? The answer is yes. Has our president decided to make sure somehow that the total economy doesn't collapse in the next week or two? Yeah, he really has. And uh, 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 put the government funds behind it and government regulations and pushing other people to do things. So it's there. But uh, United States regulators face sharp questions from Congress over back bank collapses. Lawmakers are expected to put top U.S. bank regulators on the defensive over the unexpected failures of regional, I should have just read the paper, Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank when they testified before Congress on Tuesday. Top regulatory officials for the Federal Reserve, Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, and Treasury Department are testifying before congressional committees on the swift collapse of the two banks earlier this month, month which set off a broader loss of investor confidence in the banking sector. All right, so I'm not going to go through all this. What's, what's the bottom line? The bottom line is this type of a situation, the global situation, the one with our dollar in Saudi Arabia, and they're, basically they're shutting down using uh, the American dollar there. As their dollar literally tanks, they're like, we're, we're done using U.S. dollar. We're going to trade with our own Saudi Arabian, uh, I forget if they call it shekels, whatever they call it. But uh, it's just showing the world is in a uproar, the world economic forum. Again, if you're not familiar with the world economic forum, that's, that's the, the acronym of the day, WEF. Billions and billions of dollars, Klaus Schwab, who is the head of it, and they're all setting up for the one world banking system. Is it going to happen? Yes. Is Klaus Schwab and the WEF going to be the prophetic fulfillment? Don't know. But are they setting the stage for the Antichrist system? Absolutely. 
And uh, it, it's just so, it, it, it really, I, I get excited about this. No, it's not good news for those of us that are still here if these things blow up in our face. That's not good, and none of us like that. But I'm trusting, and I think that's part of the reason why we pray and ask God to, uh, please, uh, would, you, would you mind keeping the, everything together until the rapture happens? And I, I honestly pray for that. I, 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 give us a little grace. Uh, if you will, and uh, keep our bank accounts and help us not to go under because someday it will. All right, so anyway, you're all familiar with that. It's like, well, how does that fit into the worldwide globalist picture? Well, it fits in really, really well because if this keeps happening around the, the world, it's not just an American issue. This is a worldwide issue that's taking place where economies all over the world are in serious trouble, which is why little Klaus Schwab is uh, getting a hundred and I think he's up to like 141, 142 countries now that have bought into the World Economic Forum. That's a lot of clout, and it's tons of billions and billions and trillions of dollars that are going to end up being circulated through them. Just a thought. Uh, here's another one. House Committee report confirms the Department of Justice targeting of parents, and I, I guess I forgot. Oh, here it is. Sticking together. This one is really interesting. Oops, that's not the right one. All right, well, I'll tell you what I know because I did read the article. So here's an interesting thing. How many of you, and we've actually talked about this in the past, have watched and seen like at a school board meeting where conservative people like me and you and sometimes Christians, sometimes just conservative they get up in a school board meeting and they start to say, get rid of the woke stuff, get rid of the pornography, get rid of the bad stuff, get rid of all those things that we would be opposed to. How many have ever seen a meeting like that? All right, quite a few. So here's what came out. And again, I got the article in my office. Um, and here's basically in summary what it says. That the Department of Justice basically looked at those individuals, which is something we kind of knew in the past anyway, they were targeting them as terrorists, domestic terrorists. They put them on a watch list. They, uh, they actually were going for prosecution against people that stood up and made statements about anti-whatever it was. Well, anti-whatever the government thought was right, if they went against what the higher Department of Justice said, well, that's you can't get up there and speak against the LBGTQI community. You can't get up there and talk about uh, you're against transgenders. You can't get up there and scream and yell at a board meeting about what you Christians think is wrong or you conservatives think is wrong. And they actually, they, they did go after apparently one person uh, so far, all the other cases they let go. But why do I bring that up? Because, again, and I, I mean, Revelation 13 is my go-to passage. One world government, one world economy, one world religion, and the Department of Justice was basically helping set the stage for that to happen. Now, it, you know, I'm sure they don't appreciate, and I, I'm, I'm guessing they don't watch Union Grove Baptist Church on the Facebook, but who knows? They <laughs> yeah, they should. <laughs> they definitely wouldn't agree with me. Uh, but again, I, and let me make this, let me make this perfectly clear. Um, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, 
Here's the bottom line. I do not, N-O-T, capital N, capital O, capital T, I do not endorse any type of violence against the government. I don't, or anyone else for that matter. I do not endorse violence. What I do endorse is speaking the truth in love and saying it the way it is and let God work in people's hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. That I endorse highly. So, uh, uh, again, why do we bring this out? Because it's setting the stage for the one world government. It really is where, where freedom of speech is going to go away. Again, and we'll get into Acts in just a moment. Here's, the, here's my point. Almost every place that I spoke, whether as the sheriff of Milwaukee County or as a preacher of the gospel, whichever head I had on, every single time I spoke in the, from, a, or from a Christian point of view in a public sector type of thing, the first slide, or maybe the second or third slide, was always the First Amendment of the Constitution. You say, oh, why'd you do that? I thought you're, you're a... You're a gun-toting police conservative. You should add the Second Amendment up. Well, I'm all for the Second Amendment, which is about you can carry a gun. God bless you. Carry your gun. But I, what I do, I don't need a gun. You know what I need? I need freedom of speech. And the First Amendment of the American Constitution guarantees me freedom of speech, same as it does you. So that's my point. If we can't tell the truth, if you can't stand up in a school board meeting and tell your perspective, whether they like it or not, without the affront of being arrested or, or labeled a domestic terrorist because they don't like your opinion, that's a problem in America. And uh, again, speak the truth in love, state it plainly, keep that First Amendment front and center. Christian, the First Amendment is going to do you a whole lot of good. If we lose it, we got a huge problem. We shut the church down because they'll. we don't shut it down. They'll shut it down for us someday. And that will happen when the one world government and one world religion kicks in. But again, we should all be up in heaven rejoicing uh, with Jesus at that point after the rapture. All right, so again, uh, why do we look at current events in Bible prophecy? Because, folks, we're seeing exactly what God said would happen. It, it's taking place. To me, that's exciting. You say, well, that's not good news. And no, it's not good news on one hand, but as uh, Tavia from, uh, what is that, Fiddle Around the Roof said, but on the other hand, it's really good news. It's bad news from a secular standpoint. It's really good news because what? God's doing exactly what he said he's going to do. He's fulfilling Bible prophecy, which means the next major event on God's prophetic calendar is, whoop, we go up. I'm, I'm all for that. So it's all good. All right, let's, uh, let's do what um, many of you, if not all, came to do. And let's get into, I'm going to finish up the last two verses of Acts. And uh, then we're going to pop into chapter 15. It's good stuff. I mean, I, I get excited about, of course, as you do, about studying the scriptures and uh, just love what's in here. Again, Acts is a... a what is taking place? The acts of the Holy Spirit. Things that are taking place. The acts of the apostles. Things that are taking place to do what? To get the church age going. So, uh, and I had a great discussion with uh, um, a young lady uh, this after, just an hour ago, half an hour ago, 
uh, about some of the things that are being misconstrued, not here, but uh, in the environment that some of our college students are in. And uh, boy, they're getting attacked and things aren't, uh, it's like, well, what do I do with this? How do I deal with that? And boy, it just doesn't stop. So we want to make sure we understand uh, God's word as we peel it one passage at a time. So we'll be in the, again in the book of Acts. And uh, so the Apostle Paul's first missionary journey, which we basically have closed out now. So all those different places you see on the map uh, are where Paul went to basically start spreading the gospel. Now again, just a quick little review. You can talk uh, who... Who mainly was Paul going out to try and win to Christ? Which group? Okay, so we have a mixed crowd here. We'll have to take a vote. Uh, I hear Jews and Gentiles alike. All right, so when he's going out, again, Acts 1-8 started this whole thing, and we're a little bit beyond that now. So when the, when the disciples, when the apostles were first after Jesus was resurrected, and again, just go right back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which is the, basically the demographics and how God wanted to get the gospel spread out. So in Acts 1, 8, he says, which particular place were they to start in? Jerusalem. Jerusalem right? Where were all the dis- disciples and apostles? They're in Jerusalem. So they're starting to preach the gospel there. All right? Then after Jerusalem, which is that little tiny town up on Mount Moriah area, and uh, he said, then I want you to expand beyond the city into the southern region of Israel, which is Judea. Then I want you to go to the next section region of Judea, and there's only three, and that third region is called Samaria. Samaria, and I want you to go there. So start here, go to here go to here, and then what was the next place he said to go? Uttermost part. Get out and get everywhere, all right? So by the way, it's Judea, Samaria. What's the top one? Galilee, all right? So those are three regions in Israel, but he said get out there and go everywhere. Well, uh, the Apostle Paul comes out. We're going to actually take a look at uh, Peter tonight as well, because the first person really, as we'll see in Acts 15, that started this thing with the Gentiles or getting the gospel out was Peter. And we'll see that tonight. But who was specifically commissioned to go to the Gentiles? Paul was, right? To the exclusion of the Jews? No. To the Jew first and also? To the Greek or Gentile. All right, very good. All right, let's move on. So these are the last two verses of 14. So when they had come and gathered the church, basically they're at Antioch together, They reported all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the which group? All right, there's there's the answer to the 50-50 question. You were Gentiles. They had gone out there. Yes, they had also ministered to Jewish people, but he opened the door to the Gentiles as well. So they stayed there. This is is the answer uh, uh, called, how long does that mean? They stayed there a long time. Well, for... In some venues, five minutes is too long for me. In others, I could stay there for weeks. But uh, he doesn't describe it. He just said they stayed there a long time with the disciples, basically in Antioch, and now it's going to take place. All right, let's go into Acts chapter 15. We'll see how far we get tonight. And certain men, oh boy, came down from Judea and taught the brethren, here we go, we're going to have a fight at church. 
unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be what? All right, now we've got a huge controversy that's going to take place right now. So we have those individuals that were known as Judaizers, pretty simple, Judaizers, who are coming to the Christian, those that had trusted in Christ, and saying, wait a second, don't you give me this business, it's that simple, just place your faith and trust in Christ and you go to heaven. Not buying that. So we had these Judaizers who were believers that said, no, it's not that simple. You've got to be circumcised too or you can't go to heaven. I was with a couple last night, and we were, Valerie and I were with them, and we were giving the gospel to them. And uh, it, it, it was just a, a wonderful time, and a wonderful time with them. And one of the individuals said, after we got done, and, and Valerie said, I have never heard anybody say that before. And I mean, seriously, we've witnessed to hundreds and hundreds of folks over the years that we've been in ministry and in school and all that kind of thing. And here's what the person said. It can't be that simple. It can't be that simple. Now, they were in a mainline denominational church for years and years and years, went to a, a parochial school, and they've been taught all their life, you got to work, you got to work, you got to do your best. You gotta hope that God'll take you someday. That's you know you know how it is, right? I mean, that's what people are taught year after year, year after year, year after year. How can it be that simple? And it's like, and here's the illustration I gave. Same one I. It's kind of my go-to right now, and I think I've given it once in church, maybe twice. And here's the illustration. I said, okay, let's see how simple it isn't. Here's the scenario, and you'll remember it if you've been here. Do you have a son or a, or a daughter? Yes. Okay. You love them? Yes, of course. Okay. Let's imagine there's a, and you, the robbery scene. Remember that one? Here you have uh, your son, your daughter. They're walking down the street, and all of a sudden they see an individual with a gun pointed at somebody else. They're screaming and yelling at them, Give me your money or I'm going to shoot you. And your good son, your good daughter, says, listen, put your gun down. Let the poor guy go. Let him go. He says, no. Give me your money. And uh, your son, your daughter, walks in front of that person and says, I'm not going to let you kill him. Leave him alone. Get away from him. The guy says, I'm telling you the last time. Either get out of the way or I'm going to kill you and that person. I'm like, I'm not moving. Boom. Gun goes off, kills your son, kills your daughter, dead. And while the person is, while your son or daughter is falling in a pool of blood, the other guy gets away. The person that he was originally trying to rob runs away. And you're like, wow, my son, my daughter saved this person's life. They're a hero, and truly they would be in that scenario. And you're fortunate enough, you find out the name of that person that ran away and got away with their life because your son or your daughter gave their life to save that person. And you're like, I, I've got to meet that person. I just got to see him. 
I'm so, I mean, that's the person my son, my daughter gave their life for. And uh, uh, I've, I've just got to go to their home. And you go to their home and it's like, I can't wait to see him. I want to give him a hug. I just, I, I'm just so thrilled. And you go to the, the door and you knock on it and here that person is. Had no clue you were coming. Person says, hey, what do you want? Are, are you so-and-so? Yes, that's me. What do you want? And they say, you remember when you were being robbed and a person stood between you and the gunman and that gunman took that person's life instead of yours and you escaped? And he said, well, yeah, what's it to you? It's like, that was my son, that was my daughter. He's like, you know what? That was the stupidest thing I ever saw. That was dumb. And by the way, they didn't give their life to save me. I got away on my own. I did it myself. You know, what they did is ridiculous. They, they lost their life. I can't help you out. You know, get out of my face. Get out of my... I don't want anything to do with you. How would you feel? Same way God does. Here's how easy it is to place your faith and trust in Christ. You see, it wasn't easy at all because Jesus Christ, God's Son, comes down from heaven. God, His only Son, took your place on that cross so you could go to heaven. He died. He gave His life. How simple is that? How easy is that? How sacrificial is that? How loving is that? That Jesus Christ demonstrated Romans chapter 5 verse 8 but God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were still sinners Christ died for you how simple is that oh you see how it puts a little different perspective on things all of a sudden in human terms it becomes whoa it's not that simple is it no but it's that much love that God gave his life Jesus Christ gave his life so that you could have eternal life. Does that make sense? It sure does. Folks, wonderful night. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Well, let's see what happens. So where are these people at? Well, we're up in Antioch. They're going to come down to Judea. or from G- They came from Judea up to Antioch, and now they're going to reverse the order, and uh, we're going to have a little council. So, uh, in fact, uh, I was being asked uh, or about uh, where do you find stuff or, or what classes can you take to basically find out about the council and I see and all these other things. Well, here's the first really, really big council that happens with the New Testament church. They've got to decide a major issue. Are we truly saved by faith or do we have to add things from the Mosaic Law in order to go to heaven? It was a huge controversy. Now, folks... I'll tell you one other, I mean, I could go through thing after thing after thing, doctrinal issue after doctrinal issue, where, let's just say this, that a Baptist church is going to disagree with a Pentecostal church or a Charismatic church or a Methodist church or a Presbyterian church or, and others that actually believe the same gospel we do, but they got seriously different doctrine on other issues. I mean, there's, and, and here's what happens. It's like, okay, we're going to get the Christians. We're not talking about the pagans here. These are Christians that are having a serious debate about do we need to be circumcised in order to go to heaven? 
All right? So let's look on it. So let's go to why the Jewish people, the Judaizers, thought this. Genesis chapter 17. And God said to Abraham, by the way, when was the book of Genesis written? 1445 B.C. long time ago, 1,500 years before what we're reading in Acts. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you. By the way, who are the descendants of a Jewish guy? Oh, yeah, Jews. Um, but actually, we're looking at Abraham, who's going to have Isaac, who's going to have Jacob, whose name is Israel. But God is making this covenant with Abraham, who basically is the patriarch of what will be the Jewish people. And here's the covenant. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. Now again, I don't go into graphic detail as to what this means. There's some of you here that are like, what in the world is circumcision? And here's my answer. Look it up on the internet or go ask, uh, go ask uh, your dad or your grandfather or somebody because I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> Let's just say it's a very private uh, uh, surgery that takes place, and I think most of you understand what it is, uh, but it was a, a mark that God wanted on the male people. So every child among you, male child among you, shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. All right? God knew if it was done or not, right? God sees all, knows all, and that's the covenant. Let's move on. And when do you circumcise somebody? Well, this is law. I mean, the Jewish people, this was like no joke. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. This is not debatable. You will be. Every male child in your generations, he who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant, he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised unequivocally. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. Now, does that sound pretty point blank? Yeah. I mean, it sure does. Verse 14, And the uncircumcised male ch child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, okay, what's going to happen? That person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now, if I'm a good Jewish daddy, and I'm reading this from the Old Testament Mosaic Law, and it's telling me my son is going to be cut off from his people if he doesn't have this surgery, how do you think I'm going to respond? I'll be pretty hard down on it. And these people were pretty hard down on it. So these Judaizers still believing that the Mosaic Law was in effect said, listen, guys, don't give me this baloney that you get saved by faith alone. You better be circumcised too. That was the rub. So how do you deal with that? And how do you deal with all the other doctrinal issues that uh, Christians get into? Well, this one's going to go right to the big boys. Exodus 12. A little bit more on circumcision. And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover of the Lord, let all his males be circumcised and, let, and then let him come near and keep it, and he shall be as a native of the land, for no uncircumcised person shall eat it. All right? And this is the law. The what law? 
Let's define which law it is. It is the Mosaic law. All right? So let's move on. So here we got it. This side, this side, and they're having a little bit of a problem. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, what does that mean? Yeah, they were not happy. I mean, they're, they're all but punching each other here. It's like, dudes, no. This, you, you know, you're dead wrong. No, you're dead wrong. So we got this little dissension, little lively debate, a spirited discussion. Yeah, I'll bet it was spirited. Uh, and no small dissension and dispute. That's a politically correct way of saying they were screaming and yelling at each other and they couldn't figure out the answer. All right? Uh, with them, they determine, okay, let's figure out. Let's calm down, everybody. Let's see if we can figure this out like men. Get your knife. No. <laughs> All right. Uh, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem. Wait a minute. Wait a minute here. What do you mean go up to Jerusalem? So they're coming from Antioch in Syria, and they're going up to Judea. How come they went up to Jerusalem? Because you always go up to Jerusalem, Zion, synonymous. Always go up. Uh, is there taller spots in Israel than Jerusalem or the top of Mount Moriah? The answer is yes, but you always go up to Jerusalem because Ezekiel 5 5 says that. Jerusalem is the center of God's world. All nations surround Jerusalem. It's the apple of God's eye is people. Uh, Jerusalem. By the way, just throw this out there. Last two weeks in May 2024 is our trip to Israel. I've got, believe it or not, I got 92 seats. 65 are already filled up. Um, I won't tell you how they got filled up, but they're filled up. Bottom line, i got about 20 spots left if you want, and we haven't even advertised yet. So anyway, that's coming. I'm going to actually schedule a second trip because this one's going to fill up before we have a chance to even get it out hardly. All right, anyway, that's another thing. Bottom line is you go up to Jerusalem. What happens? They go up there to the apostles and elders about this question. All right, so uh, the apostles are still on the scene. It's still before 100 A.D. when the apostle John, the last apostle, dies off the scene. So we got the apostles there and the elders. Now, we looked at elders last week. Basically, in a simplistic form, who are the elders? Who's the elders? Is it just the old men that hang out at the town square? Okay, when, when, they, when God told Paul, appoint what in every city? Elders. Appoint elders. And we looked at the word uh, basically, there's, there's three different concepts in Scripture that describe church leadership. Presbyteros, episkopos, and then this word translated elders. Different functions for those that are in church leadership. Commonly known, at least in a Baptist church, as pastors, elders, um, and so forth. Now, in different churches, that's going to switch up based on what their church polity or government is. In a Bible church, you have pastors, unpaid elders who have a spiritual leadership, and deacons. Most Baptist churches have pastor, elder, and deacons. So, and, and again, is one right and another wrong? No. 
It, it just happens to be the church government of different churches and how they function. Uh, and we'll just leave it at that. But bottom line, we'll make it simplistic. They're going to Jerusalem to talk to the church leadership to try and figure this out. That's about as simplistic as we can get. All right, and again, there's the three regions, Judea, Samaria, Galilee, easy, hopefully easy to remember. And right now, they're way up north in Antioch of, where Syria is, Syria north or south or in Jerusalem, or uh, Israel, just north, okay? So we talk about Damascus, where's Damascus? Where's Damascus? You know, Syria. When you talk about Damascus having all, I mean, the civil wars and still having problems, where's it located? In Syria, which is right above Israel. So they're coming from Antioch in Syria because there's a second Antioch, which is way off into Turkey area. So you have Antioch, Syria. They're going to come down to Jerusalem, and they're going to get all the big boys together, and they're going to figure this issue out. What happens? Verse 3. So being sent on their way by the church, okay, they pass through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they cause great joy to all the brethren. I like that. They're excited. God's been doing things. Folks are getting saved, not just Jewish folks, but Gentile folks as well. And they're coming down to Jerusalem, and they're spreading the word by they believe it or not they didn't have cell phones back then uh our young people they think they think these have existed since day one but uh, it's kind of a new invention um bottom line is how did word get out well you talk to people and they go church to church and they they tell folks man we've just seen some great things gentiles coming to christ they're getting saved and what happens people get excited folks every time somebody gets saved whether it's at a restaurant or whether it's in the back or whether uh, uh, Mike McCreary is preaching up front here and folks come to Christ or uh, Awana or Rooted Teens or in your homes or uh, uh, I talked to uh, Dan just a few minutes ago. He said, you remember, uh, it's okay if I share, I hope. He, uh, he said, listen, you, you talked about a, a, a last week about going home and mom and dad leading you to Christ. He says, that's how I came to Christ. You know, heard the word, went home, mom and dad shared, the, mom or dad shared the gospel with him, he came to Christ. And there's a lot of folks like that in this room uh, that have gotten saved that way. But it's exciting. And I, I, and person happens to be here, I'm not going to get into names, but I mean, just a, about a month ago, a little less than that, three weeks ago, uh, a bunch of folks crying in the back, what in the world's going on here? You know, does somebody die or or get sick and just a lot of tears and they said uh, so and so got saved today and I'm like praise the Lord that's wonderful they're so happy so excited tears of joy and that's the way it should be it's exciting when somebody comes to Christ love it and that's what this church did all right let's move on verse 4 and when they had come to Jerusalem they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders there's that press presbyteros word and they reported all things that god had done with them so they're seeing conversions now why is this a problem well this isn't a problem but it's a challenge gentiles non-jews uncircumcised gentiles are coming to christ that raised a problem jewish people by law were they circumcised at the eight-day period were they 
I mean, if they if, if mom and dad were following the law, their kids were circumcised. No, no. I mean, that's just part of the law. They were doing it. Now we got this is messed up, guys. They're looking at Gentiles now who are trusting Christ and saying they're going to heaven. But wait a minute, they didn't do it like we did it. So you've got this rub now. That's exactly the problem. All right. So they're at the church. By the way, how long has the church existed? It's pretty fresh, right? Acts chapter 2, we have Pentecost come. We have uh, uh, the basically the church age is going to begin. So we're just getting into this. We just got Paul who just gets back from his first run of preaching the gospel to Jews and Gentiles, and Gentiles are coming to Christ. Brand new issue. All right, So they were received by the church, which happened there, the church at Jerusalem, which was the first church, and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all the things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the who? Ah, those rotten Pharisees. <laughs> Where did the Pharisees come from? Well, say what? I can't hear. Oh, well, uh, here's how the Pharisees come about. It's about 160, 165, 164. I, you know, the date is unknown. We got a bunch of Jewish people that are going through a problem, better known as uh, what will become a revolt of the Jewish people, and they're going to get smacked down. We have an individual known, and this name should become familiar if you don't already know it, an individual named Antiochus Epiphanes. Ever heard of that name? Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus goes to the Jewish temple, hates the Jewish people, and is going to do the prototype of what will become known in the future as the abomination of desolation. He's going to defire, defire, what's the right word? Yeah, defile, there we go, not defire defile. <laughs> He's going to defile the Jewish temple. Now, how do you defile the Jewish temple? Well, you get the unclean animal known as a piggy. Pig. Valerie doesn't like when I go iggy. It's like, don't say piggy, you say pig. Or don't say dog. I always say doggy, and she's like, don't say doggy, say dog. That was free. Not part of the lesson. You didn't have to pay for that. Don't have to pay for anything, by the way. But uh, anyway, uh, they, uh, Antiochus says, listen, we're going we're gonna to mess up the Jewish altar. We're going to uh, uh, basically show the Jews how much we despise them. So he takes a pig, kills the pig, and he makes pig's broth. And then he takes the pig's broth, according to Josephus and others, and pours it over the Jewish altar, totally defiling it with that unclean animal. Again, that's a prototype of what will come after we're gone and the Antichrist is on the scene and in the middle of the seven-year tribulation period, the temple's defiled. Not by pig's broth, but by them putting in an image to the Antichrist and saying, you worship that and not God. All right? So that's coming. The bottom line is that's when the temple was defiled and the Pharisees began to come about as those that were ultra, ultra concerned about following the law and where they're going to worship. They then began to write their extra-biblical literature and their extra-biblical oral traditions, and the Pharisees became the legalists of the law. In other words, the law gave certain things. The Mosaic law said you should and shouldn't do X. 
they took it to a whole nother level. In other words, when you go to Jerusalem, and it happens to be the Sabbath, they have two elevators in every hotel. You have the Sabbath elevator, and then you have the pagan elevator that I use, the non-Jewish elevator. Here's, you cannot work according to the law on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees, and even coming up to today's culture, thousands of years later, you walk into the Jewish elevator on the Sabbath, you do not touch a button because that's considered work. So if you're in a large hotel, and there are a lot of large hotels in Israel because the massive amount of tourists, and your party happens to be on the 20th floor, and you walk into the elevator, the doors close, and you stand there. Floor two, door opens, door shuts, because you can't touch 20th floor. Goes up to number three, door opens, door shuts, and you go up to number four. And you do that for 20 different floors because to touch the button would be considered work. Now, I really don't know how they get into their hotel room without using a key, but apparently that's not work. So here's the point, though. All of these extra-biblical mandates, that's what came out of the Pharisees. So this group of Pharisees, they've been around for about, at this point, about 170, 80, 90 years, and they're like, uh, let's get this right, folks. Here's what we're going to do. Circumcision. All right, So, but some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up. Catch the point. Are these converted Pharisees that have placed their faith and trust in Christ? The answer is yes. So we have some Pharisees that actually trusted Christ, but they're still steeped in this old-fashioned, old way of doing business of you got to follow the law, right? Who believed, rose up saying, it is necessary, Christian, to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So they they, they believed on Jesus, but they're still messing up doctrinally. They're like, you got to follow the law. Yeah, you trusted Christ. That's wonderful. But you better not give up the law. Ron? Yes. Yeah. But uh, he got rid of it. <laughs> Paul understood when Jesus went to the cross, of course, after Paul's conversion, that the law was abolished. We'll look at that in a minute when we go to Galatians. So here we have this issue. Now, folks, give him a look. we got to give him a little break here. It's like if you were brought up and that you're sincere. I mean, these, I, I believe most of them are as sincere as the day is long. They don't want to get God upset. They want to do everything to please God, and they are going to the nth degree not to do something that's going to make God upset. Oh, man, something just hit me, and I don't know if I should go here. You all in a good mood? All right. I'm going to use this term legalistic church. Now, to some of you, that means nothing. To some, it may mean a whole lot. There are what's known as legalistic churches, of which we are not that put what I like to call second-degree separation on the people. You say, what does that mean? I'll just, I'll give you the simplest illustration I can. 
I went to a serious, serious second-degree legalistic church for some time down in Indiana. The glasses that I have on today, I would have been severely chastised for wearing because they were not black horn-rimmed glasses which only Christians wear. You say, are you serious? I'm dead serious. My haircut, as beautiful as it is, what are you laughing at? I can't, you had to have it tapered just perfectly. And I was cheap, so my dad always, I'd come home from college, he would cut my hair, and we'd try and do it exactly to standards. And it was, I mean, I actually had some hair back then. But uh, it had to be, there had to be this absolute taper in the back. In other words, very, very short here, and just slightly get a little bit bigger as you go up. I go to chapel, and that Pharisee that was standing at, I'm sorry, the, uh, 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 the checker at the door said, you don't pass. And I said, what's wrong? He says, your taper isn't proper. It's all too short. It's got to have a taper. I'm dead serious. Um, ladies, of course, had to wear dresses all the time. There was no culottes, no pants, no this, no that. That's called second-degree separation. Now, this was the same exact thing that was taking place 2,000 years ago, but on a different subject matter. And it's like, and some of you, I'm watching some of the faces are like, are you serious? Oh, let me tell you more. No, I, I don't want to waste time on it. When I'm, yeah, this, folks, this, this is why fundamentalism has basically been destroyed because of the things like this that took place. It still exists in certain places. Most of those churches and schools that practice that are pretty much shut down now, but there's still a few around. Uh, Valerie and I, when we were dating, had what was known as the six-inch rule. That was law. <laughs> the giggle is enough. It, I mean, seriously, if you were sitting, if I was sitting with Valerie in church or anywhere else for that matter, on campus, and we are closer than six inches, you're in serious trouble. You're going to get demerits. You say, demerits in college? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The place I went was called the West Point of Christian Academies, and it was no joke, but it was all second-degree legalistic nonsense, of which you say, do we do that here? Uh, No, (laughs) we do not do that here. Uh, A lot of the best, and I'm going to go here just for a moment, because it's important. We have the name Baptist on the door, right? I mean, it's Union Grove Baptist Church. Unfortunately, in many places, that word Baptist is just absolutely like your what, and they associate it with the old-fashioned legalistic churches and drives people cuckoo. They're like, I'm not going to that place. I'm not going to a Baptist church because they're a bunch of legalists. So, Culturally, we've had to withstand some of that, and uh, that's why when folks come here and they visit and they're skeptical, and you folks do what you do. You love them, you bring them in, you treat them with respect, and it works. So, but we have, I mean, seriously, there's folks around this community that if you got the name Baptist on the door, they're not about to come in unless you talk to them personally and 
Tell them that, no, we don't operate that way. Oh, I'm almost out of time. Anyway, it's the same thing, though, that happened back in the first century when they're fighting over should we follow the law or not follow the law, okay? And it's still a big issue in some little teeny circles. All right, now the apostles and elders came together to consider the matter. Good. Let's chat. chat. Romans 3. Here's what they had to debate over. Therefore, we conclude that a man or a woman is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Who wrote that? Paul, who wrote, who told Paul to write it? Or basically, how did he write it? Under what? The inspiration of the Holy Spirit. No one is justified by following the deeds of the Mosaic law. 613 commandments. 365 negative, 248 positive. We are not under the law. Guess what I had to eat at the, at the restaurant last night? I had... <laughs> I do eat that on occasion as well, not willingly, but I do. Uh, I had three great pork chops. Ooh, season just... Pork chops? Is pork against the law? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Is pork against the Mosaic law? Yeah. Was I breaking the law? Well, if I was under it, I would be breaking it. But I really enjoyed that pork, by the way. And you're like, well, you shouldn't eat pork. Uh, verse 29, or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, the Gentiles also. Here we go. Here's the answer. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised or the Jew by what? By faith. And the uncircumcised or non-Jew by what? through faith all right it's all by faith that's that's the bottom line and that's where we're going to end up here acts 15 7 and when they had there had been much dispute i mean folks i don't know if you've ever been in a uh mike unger love the guy and uh he's got there's nikki and uh mike likes to uh he likes to get people talking and he likes to push buttons not because he necessarily even agrees with what he's saying, but he likes to push buttons and get people talking. It works, and he's great at it. And, and, and you know, he, he'll believe this, but he'll push this button and say, well, I'm going to believe that kind of for just a moment just to get folks to, to talk and debate a little bit and to wake up and, uh, like, think. Why do you believe what you believe? And, and he's, I think he's really good at it. He does it with me on occasion. I, I know what he's doing, so he can't get away with it, but... <laughs> Uh, you tell him I love him, okay? Uh, this, is, this is a positive. But he's great at it. And his class is growing, and people, I mean, it's just wonderful what uh, Nikki and, and uh, Mike are doing. But anyway, what does he say? And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, All right, let's get down to brass tacks. Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. All right, now I got about seven, eight minutes. Go to Acts chapter 10. And let's just quickly review what took place here. Acts chapter 10, not on the screen, too big. All right, Acts 10, there was a certain man, verse 1, in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God. Was he a Christian? No, no he was a Jewish proselyte. He was a Gentile. In other words, he followed the Jewish law. 
a devout man, one who feared God in all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a Tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel spoke to him and departed, Cornelius called two of the household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. Obviously, a guy of means. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter, not Paul, but we're talking about Peter now, Peter goes up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry, I can relate to that, and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Peter, you Jewish guy, rise, kill, and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord. I'm a good Jewish guy. I don't eat that thing, those things, for I've never eaten anything common or unclean. A voice spoke to him again the second time, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now, wait a second. Peter had grown up under the Jewish law. Now, all of a sudden, this voice is telling him, you go eat these things. He's like, I can't do that. I'm a Jew. Verse 16, this was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Now, Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant. Behold, the men whom he had sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. All right, so we got these, these group of guys coming up to Peter, and what happens? And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore go down uh, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Peter's having some great interaction here with, uh, uh, if you will, with uh, the Lord and his messengers. Then Peter went down to the men who had, had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. What have you come for? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has good reputation among all the nations of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. All right, now here we got it. We've got a Gentile guy. God says of this Gentile centurion, a well uh, uh, respected a guy who is a, a, a Jewish convert, not a Christian convert yet, uh, but a Jewish convert. Now what happens? Verse 24. The following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down his feet and worshipped him. Is that a smart thing to do? No. Don't ever worship the messenger. But Peter lifted him up saying... Stand still, I myself am lost for a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. Peter felt, I mean, this is uncomfortable. He's in a Jewish home. You don't do that. But who told him to do it? There you go. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. In other words, Jew and Gentile, church ages starting, we're bringing them together. Verse 29, therefore I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent for me? Cornelius said, four days ago I was fasting about this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed. 
in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. All right, here it comes. Here's the turning point. Here's the transition. Verse 34. Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. Partiality between who? Jew and Gentile. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy Spirit, with power, and went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land, land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. He's going through the gospel. Him, Jesus, God raised up the third day and showed him openly. Not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he, Jesus, who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets, prophets witness, basically he's talking about the Old Testament prophets, that through his name, the name of Jesus, whoever believes in him, Jew or Gentile, will receive remission of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word, and those of the circumcision, the Jews who believed, were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. All right, so what's, the, what's he talking about here in Acts? He's talking about this when, and again, we're during the apostolic times, which end about 100 A.D. when John passes off the scenes. One of the things that God did during the apostolic times was not only did folks get saved like you and I do, but there was a filling of the Holy Spirit allowing them to do miraculous things. Second uh, Corinthians, this is a verse you want to know. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. Second Corinthians 12, 12 makes it very clear that signs, wonders, and miracles were signs of an apostle. Happened during the apostolic time. So you say, well, why, why when I got saved, don't I speak in tongues? Well, the answer is because the apostolic times ended in 100 A.D. It's done, over with. Will they be reinstated someday? I truly believe those signs will be reinstated during the tribulation time after the rapture. Why were those signs given? Well, Joel chapter 2, Acts chapter 2 speak to that fact. They were to authenticate the message and to get the message to as many people as possible. Remember in Acts chapter 2, the whole world of Jews were gathered at Pentecost. Why? Because there's three Jewish pilgrim feasts when all Jews had to be in Jerusalem. And they all spoke different languages. 
God gave them the gift of tongues, known languages, so they could preach to them. And that's exactly what happened. So after me and you are raptured, and we'll have to close with this and we'll pick up the rest next week. When me and you are raptured, the voice is gone. Who preaches the gospel today? Christians. What happens when we're all up in heaven? You have 144,000 young male Jewish virgin evangelists, Revelation 7 and 14, that are going to go out and start propagating the gospel. 144,000, period. It's not a lot of people. How are they going to get to every single nation tongue under this earth and get the gospel to them? Because well, the sign gifts will be reinstated. Gift of tongues, known languages, not angelic tongues like some like to say. Known languages, they'll be out there preaching the gospel. Joel 2, Acts 2, absolutely document that that's what's going to take place. And many, many folks will come to Christ during the trib. As we know, most of them will be martyred. So here's the final word for tonight. Has God reached out to the Jew and the Gentile? Absolutely. Now we're going to see that um, uh, in Acts chapter 15, we're actually going to come to a conclusion that circumcision is not necessary. They give a couple other uh, 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 things which we're not going to get to tonight that they wanted the Gentiles to follow basically as a cultural issue among the Jewish people. Don't eat things strangled, don't eat things with the blood in it, and don't commit sexual immorality. That's what we want you folks not to do. And those three things went out. Basically, you don't do that in our culture. It's wrong. Shouldn't do it. And uh, that was part of the mainstay within the Christian church. Now, by the way, should Christians abstain from immorality? Absolutely. The other issue is, should Christians abstain from things sacrificed and things with blood in it? You're going to hear two sides of the story on that one. Is that legalistic or is that there for a reason? We'll talk about it next week, so you got to come back and I'll give you the answer. All right, uh, enough for tonight. Thanks for being here. Let's pray and uh, send you on your way. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for, again, for uh, the young people that are here tonight, the teens that are here. Pray that uh, great things will be happening as we come to a close. Lord, if uh, uh, for those uh, that just need... Uh, a, a touch of you this evening uh, to keep on keeping on, to stay firm in their beliefs. Father, would you bless them and give them that strength tonight. For those that may still be here that are contemplating, should I receive Christ or not? Do I understand the gospel? Is it true? Father, I pray that you'd uh, allow the Holy Spirit to work in their lives tonight and just push them over uh, that point where they'll say yes to Christ and we'll rejoice with that this evening. So, Father, I pray that you dismiss us with your blessing. Father, help us as we go back into the battlefield. Lord, it's, a, it's horrible out there. We know it's horrible, and it's tough, and it's hard. Father, protect us as we go uh, back out into the world, and we'll give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great night. I'm sorry?